Hello and welcome to the Aquarius Podcast. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Aquarium Co-op. Aquarium Co-op is the premier destination for all your aquarium needs, from live plants to Aquarium Co-op brine shrimp eggs. Not only is the Aquarium Co-op the single greatest place to buy your freshwater products, but the Co-op also has an awesome YouTube channel where you can see everything from DIY videos featuring Master Breeder Dean, fish collecting trips, fish farm tours, and weekly live streams with the Nerm King himself, Corey Reese's Pieces McElroy. So head over to AquariumCoop.com and get all the goodies. Now, on to the interview. Today's date is Wednesday, January 20th, 2021. My guest today is Garrett Mitchell. Garrett is a longtime hobbyist on the saltwater side and has recently begun selling corals under the eBay user House of Reef. So Garrett, welcome to the podcast. And folks, uh, apologies very early on. There was a little bit of audio issues that uh, we lost Garrett's comments on uh, him saying, glad to be on the podcast. We're going to pick it up where I say, hey, Garrett, do you remember that you were guest zero? And Garrett, the other fun fact about you and this podcast is that you, my friend, as we're going, I think this is going to be like episode 95 or 96, you are actually episode zero guest of the Aquarius podcast. Do you remember that a couple years ago? Oh my gosh, yeah. A little uh, little trial and error we it, did. That was, was fun. Yeah, that was that was a good time. So for all the listeners, they've maybe heard me uh, mention this once before, but um, yeah, when I was thinking about starting up a, a podcast for the uh, freshwater side of things, um, I had come up with some names, and I think I was texting you back and forth, and this is like two, is it like two years ago, two and a half years ago, something like that? Yeah. Um, and to test out like audio and all that good stuff, um, I asked you if you'd be the guinea pig, and you said yes. And I think we ended up having like a forty-five minute conversation or something like that, just talking about random nonsense. I don't even think it was fish related. I think it was just to test out the audio <laughs> and just to get a feel for kind of like asking somebody questions over um, over a phone or over some internet form of communication. And uh, yeah, so you you are that guest, and that's actually a lost episode. So that file like got corrupted or something. So clearly like. I didn't know what I was doing fully, but uh, you that know. could be a good thing. Yeah, that might be good. That was lost. Ah, that would have been fun. To, <laughs> that would have been fun to release, though. Um, yeah, so that, that's that's a fun fact, Garrett. You are you are episode zero guest of the Aquarius podcast. Which the other fun fact that I think some people may have heard this is that uh, one of my early working titles for the podcast, one of the early working names, was the Hang On Chat. And you were like, "That's a bad name." <laughs> and I think I swear I don't think I've deleted that text. I should go back to my phone and look at it. And you had suggested uh, just calling it the Aquarius Podcast. So you are also now. I mean, I guess maybe you're entitled to royalties or something for that. Which yeah, is I was like, going to say I, I haven't seen a royalty check yet. But... <laughs> a couple, a couple gumballs, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do. That'll do. You might actually still owe me some uh, some in and out or something from from back when we used to work together. So. Oh, probably. Yeah, and uh, maybe maybe some more setup is is due. Uh, Garrett is a a longtime friend. Uh, can I can I say where you live, Garrett? Like in terms of, I think maybe like yeah, San Diego. I mean, if somebody were to stalk that's, you, yeah. they 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 they'd spend a long time because San Diego is a pretty big area. So yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah, Garrett Garrett's one of my uh, closest uh, first friends. When I moved down to San Diego, we worked together at an aerospace company. Um, got into all sorts of shenanigans there and, uh, yeah, just, just hit it off with a friendship and got into doing some fishing with you and your dad and, 
Yeah, and uh, all the while, you had this big passion for aquariums, which I had before, but I, I wasn't keeping anything at the time when I lived in San Diego. Um, yeah, and then you even uh, took me to, I think you took me to at least one or two aquarium stores that you worked at before as well. Yep. And you are, you're a saltwater guy, so. Yeah, I, man, so my, my dad had a freshwater tank. Oh, yeah, go, yeah, we're, like, we're going to go back yeah, to the origin story. <laughs> Well, you missed one thing. You you were in my wedding. I mean, that's a huge. That's I huge, was. Right? I was in your wedding. I was that's, one of the groomsmen. God, that was a long time ago. Yeah, that was good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, my you my just needed, dad, to, fill, so you needed to fill it out though. That was the you were just like, man, who's one more schlub uh, yeah, I can get to fly gosh, down here it. on a cheap Southwest flight? I'm like, can we cut out one bridesmaid? <laughs> Ask my wife. Like, no, like, shoot. Oh, Randy, <laughs> here we go. Uh, so. <laughs> Yeah, my dad had a freshwater tank, and I just remember it was just huge, like the gravel at the bottom. I don't remember much because I was like three or four years old, but I just remember there were plecos in there. I didn't know there were plecos at the time, but I'm like, these things are so cool. They're like sucking on the glass. Like these look like little alien things. Mm-hmm. I thought it was just fascinating. Bubbles coming up, and um, I always wanted to feed the fish. And gosh, I don't even remember like what the equipment was on there. But it was probably just something. Probably under gravel filter, old. like under gravel filter with like a bubble curtain yeah. in the back. Yeah, lots of bubbles. I remember that. And a little diver. You got to You had to have that little diver in there, right? I recently, probably a little, about a, a year ago, I actually added a diver to my seventy-five gallon uh, display tank that I have. So it's all planted with crips, uh, like four or five different crip varieties. And then I've got. Uh, I, I just had to do it. I had to get the diver. You know, he's going down for the <laughs> chest. He's got the bubbles all messing with him, and the bristle, <laughs> the bristle nose, and the shrimp are always on him, trying to clean him off. So that's always fun. That's awesome. Did you talk to your dad about what else may have been in there, or does he not even remember? Gosh, I, I haven't talked to him about it, and and I don't know. I mean, I know there were some other fish in there. I wouldn't even know where to begin to describe what they were, since I was probably like three or four. But after that, my dad started building a pond in our front yard where he, <laughs> now it's a koi pond, but he had bass in there. And he was putting bass and catfish in it. That's a, so, that's surprising that you guys only had a tank for a couple of years. Like, you know, kind of, I, I guess. I don't know, I guess depending on the perception of the maintenance required or what you guys are doing, maybe you're doing the annual teardown or you just disinfected everything like is kind of a common story from, you know, a, uh, a millennials experience with a, a fish tank as a kid. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm just surprised that uh, you like the pond, like the bass pond slash koi pond is good to go. Cause I mean, that thing is when in its current state right now, like the last time I saw it a few years ago, is that basically as your dad had built it? Pretty much. Uh, he's done a couple changes since you saw it. Actually, some major changes since you saw it. He put on a whole brand new filtration system and he redid like the deck. He did months of work into it, drained everything. Um, so it's really going off well right now. But yeah, that's pretty much the original shape. Because mm, so he had that. That seems. They like had a, that waterfall. Yeah. That seems like more work than just keeping the seventy-five gallon tank going. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? So then, so then, when did you end up getting uh, a tank then, of your own? So I got one when I was a junior in college, and I I looked at what was I? I was looking online. I think I just got back from Hawaii, and we had gone diving, little snorkeling, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so cool! Like, I gotta get a tank. Like, I'm in, I'm independent now. I'm not living on campus in a dorm. Um, I was renting a, an apartment and. I'm like I'm getting a I'm getting a reef tank, so I search around online, 
found uh, like nanoreefs.com, I think it was at the time. I don't even know if it's still around, but got my first little nano cube, little JBJ nano cube, all in one tank and went up to Orange County to get it for some reason. I don't even know uh, why I went up there. I think I just talked to some store and they're like, yeah, we have them stocks. So I'm like, all right, I'm out of here. Uh, drove up there, drove back down, got that, put it on some cinder blocks in my room uh, on the carpet. Spilled plenty of salt water on the carpet, uh, <laughs> like beginner mistakes, right? And yeah, it, it went it went pretty well. I mean, I absolutely loved it. It was I just had a couple clownfish in there, and I, I wanted coral. I knew I wanted coral because I thought it was so cool. Um, and I had gone to a couple local reef shops. I'm like, man, this is this is so awesome. Uh, so. Yeah, I ended up starting that little 20, 24 gallon tank. And that thing moved around to like five different locations. How much, uh, <laughs> how, how much research did you do though before, you know, you went on nanoreef.com and then like, what were you searching for? Were you searching for like, you know, how big of a tank in order to have corals or how big of a tank in order to have clownfish? Like kind of what was that, that research process like? Cause I, I assume you didn't just like call up a shop, buy this thing with some clown, clown, did I say clown loaches earlier? With some clownfish, and then just go back to your, your dorm room and set the thing up, right? Or your apartment, wherever you're living. Yeah, so there are a few resources. I went I went on that nano roof site, and that's the one I primarily use. And I knew I didn't have like an, a lot of room, and I didn't want anything really big. And maybe it was just because I was like, oh, 75 gallons, like my, my dad had when I was growing up. Like, he got rid of that. So I don't know. Maybe that was in the back of my mind. But yeah, that's a big tank. These, yeah, <laughs> these all-in-one things looked really nice where I could just throw it on a stand, set it up, put water in it and, and start letting it run. Um, and I, I think I just saw pictures of guys, uh, tanks where they looked really, really nice. Right. Just even though it's a small little nano thing, but the research part, I, I honestly didn't know anything. So, I mean, I had to go into all this, um, how do you start a tank? I was searching for that, right? What kind of substrate am I using? What kind of rock do you use? Can you use this rock? Can you not use this rock? Um, what am I like when you start it up? What's that that cycle period, right? The nitrate cycle. What should I be looking for? What test kits do I need? I mean, it's a ton of information. Um, Did you know anything going into it? Because you hadn't worked at the aquarium store at this point, right? No, I hadn't. Okay. And, and I did not know anything about it. Okay, so just completely blank slate mind. All you knew is that you saw pretty fishies and pretty corals in Hawaii, and you wanted to replicate that in your apartment. Exactly. Gotcha. But you knew yep. you, you knew you wanted clownfish, though, or did that is that something that like as you're researching, you're like, oh, okay, this seems this is a good beginner thing to have. That's fun. Yeah, I mean, I always like the clownfish. They just they look cool, and I still have them today. I, you know, they have all these different uh, varieties now, um, like ice storms, mochas. Wyoming whites, it's all these different um, color variations of clowns. So I just, I love the simple, just Ocellaris clown, um, straight how they come from nature. Um, that's me personally, but I just like the way they move. Um, and most of them are nice most of the time. Usually Ocellaris are, you get into some other species, they get a little bit mean, but yeah, there's a nice, bright, colorful fish with like good contrast in them, right? It's that orange, the black, and the white. And then stupid question. So are you able to add fish directly into a saltwater tank that you set up, or is there also a cycle time like there is with freshwater? 
Yeah, there's a few different ways to do it. So traditionally, you want to go through that cycle. And there's a bunch of different ways folks will do the cycle, right? Some say, oh, just go to the store, drop a, uh, go buy a, a shrimp from the uh, seafood section, drop it in there and start that nitri nitrogen cycle. Um, drop a drop a shrimp from the seafood store. So like this, what was? <laughs> yeah, this is kind of like a long. I think it's just like a an old legend, right? You just you want to get something decomposing in the tank, right, to get the ammonia up and. Okay, I don't think I've ever heard that. that on the salt on the freshwater side of things. Like I've heard just like straight ammonia. There's the like having your plants do the cycling, adding a small fish and things like that. But but things that are live though, I haven't heard the actual drop a, a dead thing uh, at least on the freshwater <laughs> side. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, I mean, you could put a little, some folks do put a little damsel in there to get that going. Um, only thing is damsels are hard to get out if you have all that rock work in there and they get big and mean sometimes. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's kind of like a four week period, right? You watch your ammonia spike, you watch the nitrite spike and then you watch your nitrate spike. And when those come down, then, then you're pretty much good to go. Um, of course, there's other things that you're watching at the same time, like your alkalinity, your calcium for your corals, if you're doing a reef tank, uh, and then looking at your salinity and pH, um, which I'm sure there's a lot of crossover with testing and um, freshwater and saltwater. And then you get into like to the trace element stuff, which is way down the line, right? Um, but that's one method. So you, you wait it out, right? The other method is there are a lot of companies now selling this kind of overnight um, product, right? Where you pour it in, it kickstarts the nitrate cycle, and then you can essentially start your reef within like a week or something. Yeah, bacteria, like live bacteria in a bottle. Exactly, yeah. So that's another route. I haven't done that route before. I kind of just let it go through that ugly stage and wait. Um, but honestly, I set, I've only set up you know, my last tank. It's five years old, so I didn't use any of that stuff because it wasn't really tested i guess i didn't really trust it back then when i was setting up the tank can you can you do what i do on the freshwater side of things because i'm so impatient and i just water change my way through it so like you just add what you want <laughs> or like half of what you want and just and just do power water changes like just do 50 percent every like i don't know four or five days until your tank is fully cycled <laughs> and then you know adding I, in adding in some some gunky media from uh, another tank yeah i would say you want to kickstart it right somehow like if you have a friend uh that has a reef already and you know it's got that good bacteria in, like maybe grab a rock from him some live rock from him and get that right bacteria in there um so it starts to break down all that nasty gunk but yeah i pretty you could, probably could do that you probably could just keep doing water changes every four days 50 percent water changes yeah, until until the bacteria just kind of builds up on its own like i've, I've done that before and uh, on one tank, you know, I, I missed a couple in a row and, you know, had some catastrophic results, but, um, yeah, you know, you, you eventually yeah. get there and you have to really stay on top of it. And it's not something that I'd be like, yeah, everybody just do this, like be impatient, like Randy and, and do this method. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't suggest that. <laughs> so what were some, any lessons learned with that first tank? Yeah. I mean, you got to keep on top of the maintenance. It like, like you were just saying, right. If you slack off, um, not only aesthetically it's going to look bad, but things can get out of control pretty quickly. And, you know, having the, that regular maintenance schedule, it's going to help keep things consistent. And that's, that's probably one of the lessons I've learned. It probably is the same for you. Just, I mean, keeping things consistent 
for the animals is going to be the best. Um, so that means keeping your schedule consistent and doing things in a manner where they don't have to deal with crazy swings and pH mm-hmm. or water temp or anything like that. Um, and some of it you can actively do, and some some you can do by controllers or heaters or anything like that. Um, so that's so one of the lessons I learned was you know keep it as simple as you can. Uh, try to have the minimal amount of equipment to make your reef run and you don't necessarily need to go adding all these extra cool things these new products that come out and i struggle with this a lot actually on on the tank i have right now it was okay something new came out like i think i have a little problem i'm gonna try this method i'm gonna try this method and i'm just like not letting the tank settle out and become the way it should be um I guess, like settle into itself, right? Like its own little ecosystem. Yeah, I was like pulling it back and forth. I was like pulling it this way and they're like, oh crap, uh, now this is off. And then I pulled the other way and and this is off. And if you change too many things at one time, it's like, okay, well, what was that that made it, made this, all these coral die, right? I don't know. I changed three things at the same time. It's Mm. like, great. And, that, so, and that's a good note for uh, for people listening to this to just stick to fresh water and don't even bother with salt water and just let people like Garrett beat their head against the wall. <laughs> so like, give me some examples. Like, what is what is a thing? What is a parameter that you could change? Because I know, like in fresh water, I I feel it's pretty simple. Um, in, in terms of if you're just looking to keep a basic, simple planted tank with some community fish, right? We'll keep it we'll keep it at a basic level. You're looking at your initial ammonia, you're looking at your nitrites, and you're looking at your nitrates. But that's going to be for cycling. And once you have your tank cycled. Mm-hmm you're then really only keeping an eye on the nitrates um and then you know i mean i guess you could be paying attention to your ph um and then like your gh and your kh like your hardness and all that fun stuff like kind of but if you've already kind of built in this you know water chain schedule of doing i don't know 20 percent every two weeks or something like that if you just kind of get into that rhythm and so you're you're taking out the old water you're you're putting in fresh water um, so hopefully, you know, you're keeping things more in flux and you're not letting, you know, you're not letting one of those other like mineral, um, something that's more like mineral related, like kind of build up because you're just keeping all the old water in and you're only ever topping off. You know, it, it, I, I feel like then you're only really chasing things related to like algae, perhaps, um, unless you've introduced like a sick fish into your into your little ecosystem, right? Like you didn't do a quarantine yeah. and you introduce a fish that maybe wasn't showing signs of ick. But develop signs of it shortly thereafter, or some other um, some other fish related disease. But from the system standpoint itself, you know, balancing say um, macronutrients for your plants, like if you see any plant deficiencies, and lighting. I feel like those are the two things that like a planted aquarist uh, or a, a freshwater aquarist is going to be dealing with. But like, what is that going to be um, on the saltwater side, and what would be an adverse uh, impact? Of, of kind of like you're saying like you you pushed it one way and it swung too far and then this was the result you took it the other way it swung and then you had this result yeah so and similar to freshwater right you have you have lighting your water parameters and uh flow so flow is another really big component in salt water right if you're gonna be keeping corals especially right the corals need that flow and depending on what coral it is you're gonna need stronger flow or lighter flow um, but going back to like water parameters right you 
mostly what we're looking at is nitrates, phosphorus or phosphates, um, your salinity, alkalinity, calcium. Um, what am I missing? I know I'm missing something here. I, I think that is it, right? So for example, if you're doing a reef tank, your corals are going to use calcium uh, in the water column to create their, their structures. And for those of you who may be experts in this, I, I don't know the exact process. So <laughs> don't hold me to this completely. But um, you have to have the right proper, or you have to have the proper levels of calcium and alkalinity. So these are things that you're trying to balance out, right? So you set it up, you say, okay, I want to have an alkalinity of 9.0, between 9.0 and 9.5, and let's say 450 of calcium. So some of the things that I learned is chasing those numbers up and down, right? It's going to be really hard to get things just right spot on and you're going to spend so much time tinkering back and forth. Um, and there's a lot of different ways to maintain it too. So you can dose, right? You can dose your calcium and alkalinity um, if you just mix it uh, and dose it in a liquid form. So you're pouring that in every day or two, or you're taking that liquid form and you're dialing in an actual doser with a peristaltic pump and that's dosing into your tank to maintain those levels or you can use something like a calcium reactor. So. I mean, a lesson that I learned was I was dosing by hand and it was a lot of testing and a lot of room for error. Um, and if I didn't test right, if I didn't do the, the calcula calculations right on how much I should be pouring in, if I'm, if I'm trying to raise it too quickly, it could shock everything in the tank, which I have done before. So one lesson there is, I mean, change things. If you're changing something, change it super slow. Um, if you want to bring something up from 9.0 to 10.0, do it over a period of like a week if you can, and just ease everything into it uh, on like the alkalinity side. But um, what I ended up doing is just getting a calcium reactor and that thing just drips and feeds CO2 into a, a tank of old coral skeletons and it breaks down the old coral skeletons and dumps your calcium into the tank. And all hmm. you gotta do is adjust a little drip rate Interesting. Um, so let me, so let me, let me ask you a question. So if, um, if I, if I remember correctly from a previous conversation on saltwater tanks, um, you, when you make new saltwater, you start with RO water, right? Is that kind of the common consensus to start with RO water and then throw your mix in at whatever gallons to cups ratio you need, mix it up. And then there you go. You've got your saltwater. Is that, is that fair? Or can you, you, you don't use tap water, right? No. Okay. So then if you're starting with RO water, um, let's say Fritz RPM salt, right? We have a relationship with Fritz here at Aquarium Co-op. We sell their products. We don't sell their salt online. It's marketed as a reef salt, and it's really, really good stuff. Uh, I personally use it, though, as uh, a brine shrimp uh, hatching salt. So uh, that what that basically means oh, nice. is uh, it's two-in-one for me. It's a buffer plus a um, plus the sea salt that I, or plus the salt that I need that the brine shrimp need to hatch right so aeration water light uh, fritz salt get it all in our you know the zis brine shrimp hatcher that we all love and it's fantastic 48 hours later I've got you know 90% hatch rate of awesome co-op brine shrimp uh, brine shrimp eggs um, where was I you're going? gonna have to teach me how to do that oh. I, I don't know where you're going but you gotta <laughs> 
You're going to have to teach me how to do that. Hatch, We're going to have to do Hatch a baby call. brine shrimp? It's super easy, man. It's super easy. <laughs> I almost, I actually just kind of lost my train of thought there. So, yeah, all you do is you take uh, – I'll have to show you a picture of it if you go to our, our website. Um, it looks like a um, – God, it? it looks like a pitcher with a kind of con, uh, a convex – convex oh god people are probably yelling like this is what the term is uh, a conical shape <laughs> that leads down to the bottom in a little spigot and um it you know they call it the artemia blender it's you know made by a korean company and they don't have their english fully dialed in in terms of like how they should be naming these things or their instructions but nonetheless they call it the blender because it kind of looks like a blender but um, nice. yeah it makes you think that you're just gonna like whip this stuff up but yeah you take two you, you just take two liters of tap water and take your two tablespoon scoop of rpm salt or any any reef salt, any salt water salt is going to work. Uh, two tablespoons, uh, two liters of water, and I do a full tablespoon of brine shrimp because I have a lot of tanks that I like to feed baby brine shrimp too. But that's a lot, so you could do like. Wait, a this is tap water? Yeah, tap Sorry. water. Yeah, tap water. Oh, um, right out of the tap. Yep, just huh. right right out of the tap. And uh, with the with the source of aeration, you just let that thing go for forty eight hours, and you, you make sure that they do get a, a light source. You want to keep it around seventy five, seventy four to seventy six to eighty degrees, whatever. It just needs to be you know warm, uh, warm temperature water. And the artemia, they'll they'll hop, they'll basically pop out of their little cyst, and there you go. You've got baby brine shrimp, and then you feed it to your uh, to your aquariums. Easy. Nice. Easy peasy. So where the heck was I going? Oh, so in that, in that, so it, for the salt water application, if I took my RO water, I took my Fritz RPM salt, is that salt water mixture then, assuming I mixed it properly, right, and I did the correct ratios, is that not sufficient then for calcium and all these other other things that a, a reef ecosystem needs to survive? Yes, it will be. Oh. Yeah. And there's a bunch of different salts on the market, right? And some have different levels of calcium and different levels of alkalinity in them. Um, oh, and something else I didn't mention is magnesium, which is kind of up there in the, you must know, um, testing, but you want to get to a point where you are doing water changes, uh, with a salt that is at pretty much the same level, same levels as your tank, right? So if you have a nine, if you are running your tank at 9.5 alk, you want to find a salt and consistently use a salt that mixes at 9.5 for alkalinity. Because then you aren't throwing in a, you know, doing a 20% water change with something that has a lower or higher alkalinity, then you're going to make that quick change, right? It could make it jump or spike or drop uh, even a few points and shocks and stuff in there. But I guess that being said, yeah, the, the salts, um, each salt has their own claim to being the best, as I'm sure different products do in, in, on the freshwater side. Um, whether it's like adding probiotics or um, elements, trace elements to it, but yeah, that's all you need to do. You just get your RO water, mix in your salt, test it with a refract refractometer. Wow, that's a hard one to say today, <laughs> and <laughs> and and you're good to go. And so why aren't you just doing that? Like, why are you chasing parameters with the, these outside means? Is it is it the idea is that I don't want to always have to change my water and make new salt water? I'd want to be able to just do small top-offs, but then have these other pieces of hardware that can then maintain that, uh, you know, the calcium and all that other stuff? Yeah, so take, take calcium, for example. So if you have a lot of coral in your tank, they're going to be uptaking calcium and, and using it to grow constantly throughout mm -hmm. the day. Um, so you're going to have to replace that, um, in between your water changes. You could, and some people do this, 
you could just do continuous water changes where you just always have a reserve of salt water and you're taking two gallons out, putting two gallons in, two gallons out, two gallons in, kind of on a continuous cycle or, or whatever the uh, volume would be. But the rate at which those corals use the elements in the water, you want to replenish those um, to compensate mm -hmm. for that. So that's why you would have something like a calcium reactor, right? Because otherwise you'd just be doing water changes all the time to try to get your levels correct. Yeah, so... On those, so... On those things that... The, the corals are using gotcha yeah. so like if you start off with yeah i don't know however many corals you have let's say you have 10 corals they're small and we'll make up a unit for corals like or calcium let's say it's measured in quarks right so those those 10 corals will use 10 quarks initially for the first week but as they grow their quark demand is going to increase so maybe the following week or the following month they're twice the size now they need 20 quarks and you need to compensate for that outside of just the water that you're actually putting in is that is that fair yes okay so you could so you could start a tank right with um with 10 little frags right frags are just you take a clipping of of a coral glue it to a rock and then it will start growing into its own colony you, a lot of folks just start with 10 20 frags right that the demand for calcium is not going to be that high with those those frags in there but as they start to grow right and you get these huge colonies i mean folks are upgrading calcium reactors upgrading everything to try to keep up with the rate at which the corals are pulling calcium out of the water mm. yeah that's uh that, that so that draws a parallel on the freshwater side to like oh i want a a shrimp only tank right like neocaridina um or even if you want to do like um uh, snails. So let's say you've got a Fahaka puffer or a Maboof puffer or a sh or Shedentai puffers, right? These are these are puffers that are going to want to eat snail. Well, maybe not the Maboo. I mean, maybe initially, yeah, but um, Shodentai is a good one. So that's going to be a small little four-inch puffer. I've had one before, and you kind of need to culture um, snails. And so maybe you set up a little 10-gallon tank in your fish room or next to the main tank, and all you have in there are snails. Well, typically you're going to need to supplement that calcium because the snails, just like the corals, through some magical power of uh, calcium osmosis, they're going to pull that calcium out of the water for their, you know, exoskeleton shell production. Uh, shrimps do the same thing. And so I see that that parallel. And then also uh, with plants. So as, as an aquarium plant grows, yeah. right, like a smaller Amazon sword is only going to need um, – Corey actually in one of his live streams talked about this. He's like, yeah, you know, you could put a root tab there and that root tab – could last that small baby Amazon sword for, I don't know, like a week or what, whatever it is. Like maybe it's a month, right? We'll just call it a month. And that Amazon sword is going to get that, the, the nutrients from the water. It's going to get the nutrients from its roots uh, with the root tab next to it and the substrate. And that thing is going to grow. Well, if it doubles in size or whatever that is, if it grows, it's going to need more of that root tab. Like one per month is not going to cut it anymore. Like you need to, you need to feed the beast basically, right? Like you grew this thing and now you have to, you, yeah. you're going to have to not overcompensate, but you're just going to have to make sure that you can match that. And unfortunately there's no like, you know, gauge, there's no ruler. Like you stick your ruler down there and it's like, Oh, you've got a 12 inch by five inch wide Amazon sword. That's seven that, you know, that's four easy green root tabs that you put in the substrate every three weeks. Like there's, <laughs> there's no, there's no magic like that. Um, it's just, you got to look and, and, and this is probably the same thing in the coral world where, where you look for signs of deficiency. So if, you know, holes in the leaves or, uh, turning yep. yellow, turning brown, um, you know, stunted growth, like anything like that, the, those visual indicators. Um, and then you can hopefully do some research and be like, oh, okay, that, that means that that's a nitrogen deficiency or that's a phosphate deficiency or whatever it is. 
Yeah, I think that's really similar. I mean, we look, we, uh, we look at like polyp extension, and that's sometimes a good indicator of how a coral is doing. You look at the color, it can look really washed out, um, where it's like white and almost bleaching. You can look at tissue recession, where the, the tissue on the actual skeleton of the coral will start receding and like flaking off. Um, and then of course you can get all the bugs and stuff as well on corals. Um, so that's what that's that's interesting. Are you, so I'm thinking about kind of coral care, right? You, when you get a coral, you dip it in, you dip it to make sure there's no bugs on it. You, you do an inspection on it. You make sure it's good to put into your system because you want to bring stuff into your system. Is that kind of the same thing that you would do with plants? Is, is there the process? I mean, there? we we don't necessarily. I don't necessarily advocate for it. Um, I, I do want you to talk a little bit more about coral dipping, though. That's a that's a fascinating topic, uh, or at least interesting. Oh, sure. I think. Um, so hydra. I, I don't know if there's like a saltwater comparable to hydra, but it's um, you know that the, these organisms that can be hitchhikers, and so a hydra kind of mm-hmm. has like this you know skinny little stalk. It'll you know plunge itself to your glass, and it's got these little you know kind of tentacles, and so it looks. You know, it looks. I don't know. What, what, what's a good description for what a hydra looks like? I don't. I don't know. It looks like a broom, like, or like, like, an, like a mop, like an an enemy or something. Uh, yeah, Possibly. yeah, kind of like that, but like tiny. Um, and so those guys, yeah. those guys can actually um be hazardous to like really small fish fry. So if you're trying to do any breeding or anything, uh, um, they can be unsightly at the very least. Where you know, if you're overfeeding your tank or if they're able to reproduce quickly. Um, they can, you know, really cover your glass and you've got all these little hydra everywhere and they can, I don't want to necessarily say that they're fatal to shrimp, but in my little office tank here, it's sitting next to me, a little Fluval Spec 3, the tank that got me back into the hobby. Let me turn the light on. I turned the light off just to make sure there was no like electrical interference with this recording, (laughs) but I think I've got like one little hydra in here. I had a couple more, but I think, um, the internet says that snails eat these guys. I haven't actually seen a snail eat a hydra off the glass, but the population is being checked somehow. That being said, I've got cherry shrimp in here as well. I have watched a cherry shrimp walk by a hydra and the hydra sting its little leggy thing. And then the shrimp will like recoil and hold that leg. And it's basically immovable, like it can't move it. So I don't oh know. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that means that like <laughs> if a hydra got a hold of a shrimp, it would eat it. Maybe not an adult shrimp, but possibly a baby shrimp, which are super, super tiny and not outside the realm of possibility. I can say that from my own fishroom experience, now I haven't shared this one yet. I shared it with Corey a little bit ago, but um, I had a, or I have, well, the, these ha- inhabitants aren't in there anymore, but I've got a, one of my 40 breeders. Um, I had guppies in there, and I was just feeding that thing hard with baby brine shrimp. Like, I'm putting just, I don't know, like turkey basers full of baby brine <laughs> shrimp in there just so these guppies can get nice, big, and fat, make sure all the little fry are getting fed, and just power feed them like crazy and my tanks are on auto water changes i've got plants in there so i i really don't concern myself with uh parameters too much because again i'm, I'm doing daily auto water changes um but you know just in my like speed feeding routine of uh just having a family you know before the boys go to bed or if they're in bed trying to minimize the amount of time i'm spending in the fish room which sounds terrible but um you know not giving that tank as much like eyeballs on attention as i should um, at some point, like within the span of, let's say, let's call it a week of Randy just power feeding this tank, baby brine shrimp. I noticed that there were hydra. I finally looked and there were hydra completely covering the entire tank 
And normally, hydra are this pale, like, white color, all right? At least to the naked eye. Maybe they look something different when you put them under a microscope. But these hydra <laughs> were all, like, bright pinkish red from just crushing baby brine shrimp. And so these oh small, small, small artemia, like, they are perfect for the hydra. And I just had, <laughs> I mean, this entire tank, man, the driftwood, the plants, everything was covered. And I'm like, oh, my God, that is probably not good. Maybe they've maybe they've been able to get a hold of like a fry here or there, um, and so I ended up treating with uh, it's either flubendazole or fe- uh, fenbendazole. It's a liquid dewormer for like goats. You can buy it on Amazon, and you have okay. to be you got to be real careful with the dosing. When you actually Google uh, and you find the directions, I think I think there's like an East Coast Fish Club forum where I found this guy's directions, and it's a drop. It's like a drop per gallon. Or something like that. It's very, very minuscule. So you mm. buy, you buy this. I don't know, like what's, what's like a five hundred mil bottle, or I don't know. You buy, you buy something. I mean, this stuff is meant to be just dumped into a, a watering trough for goats and livestock. Uh, but you buy this big bottle. So it, like the scale, the scale of what you use to what you buy is completely off whack. But it's only like a twenty dollar product, so it's not the end of the world. Um, and you just use like it just lasts you forever. Yeah, you just do like you, <laughs> you do like ten drops, and within a day, the hydra are just completely wiped out. Like they hate the stuff; they're all gone. But yes, that's a, that's a funny story about uh, not paying attention to your tank, power feeding, and hydra will one hundred percent, at least the ones in Seattle, Washington, will uh, get down on baby brine shrimp. And they will pop. They will <laughs> they will go hog wild, man. So if you want to breed hydra, like just feed them baby brine shrimp. If like that's your bag. <laughs> yeah if you maybe you can find a way to if hydra are helpful in some regard right i don't i don't things. think there is a single redeeming quality to them i don't <laughs> i don't know but yeah I, that's a that's a very long-winded story to say yeah there's there's some amount of hitchhikers um one of the one of the more common things that could hitchhike depending on what plant farm it's coming from uh duckweed are you familiar with duckweed in the freshwater world Yes. Yeah, yeah, duckweed. It's that floating plant. It's it's very, very small, but it is the cockroach of the aquatic plant world. This stuff will survive the next nuclear, uh, nuclear like, uh, I, I'm oh sorry, gosh. not the next, not the next nuclear war. It will survive a nuclear apocalypse, just like a cockroach. <laughs> I mean, you could you oh can gosh. try forever to clean it out of your tank, but, like, unless you strip it down and just, you know, really go at it, because even if you leave the smallest bit of duckweed, it will reproduce. 100%. Um, so, you know, rinsing, sometimes I'll rinse my plants in, um, in just sink water, uh, in the sink with water before I introduce them into a, into a tank, just because of, um, uh, just because of duckweed. Now, it, it's highly likely that you will get some snail hitchhikers. Uh, we tend to think, and I tend to think that snails are beneficial to your ecosystem. They're going to help clean up that, that waste on the bottom. And, you know, if you end up having any type of fish that eats snails, there you go. That's kind of a, a double benefit there. But yeah, hydra snails, duckweed. Um, I don't think there's anything really overly crazy beyond that that uh, is going to come in on your on your plants. But I think if you probably go to like a planted reef for or a reef, a planted tank forum, you know, you might get some real hardcore opinionated people that are like, you need to dip every single plant in one-tenth bleach to water solution, do this regimen, only do it on a harvest moon, and yeah, like, I'm not letting anything in my planted tanks that hasn't gone through this extensive uh, level seven treatment. And just to be clear, you aren't, you aren't suggesting using bleach. 
No, no, so, no, I'm not. But there, there are people. No, if you go on there, there's like a ten to one ratio. It's like take a ten to one ratio oh, wow. of bleach or hydrogen peroxide. Yeah, there's some crazy, there's some crazy stuff out there. Yeah, the for hydrogen sure. Peroxide, yeah. Very, uh, very. Yeah, no, there, I've seen bleach. Very like v- super small amounts of bleach to water, but no, people definitely are, have said that oh. before. Wow. Yep. 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 Yeah, there's. I mean, same in like uh, salt water. I think there's a lot of like home remedies, right? And these home chemicals that you can use to do do some stuff. Uh, like I know uh, adjusting alkalinity I, and. I don't remember. I tried this once, right, to to get my alkalinity to go down. I believe um, I used some type of vinegar, and it worked. But I don't know what kind of effects it had on everything else. But yeah, all those all those home remedies are really interesting. And um, for like coral dipping, there's products out there, right, that they make specifically for dipping corals, um, and it could be like a coral RX. Um, there's another product that maybe it's not specifically for corals, but it's in the the uh, aquarium realm called Melifix. So we would use that to to do a dip. Um, what, but, are you, what are you trying to kill? Like, what are you trying to do with the dip? Uh, you're just trying to care, kill any parasites on there. So mostly it's going to be uh, acro-eating flatworms is what you're looking for. Um, if you're into acropora, uh, those will just decimate um, any of your acropora colonies. They just munch on all the tissue and completely destroy it is that so is you're that trying to get rid of something that you would find more so like if it's a wild caught specimen like a wild caught coral or even within just like you know dude down the road his fragging operation he could have it but i guess how would you know how come it wouldn't be abundantly clear that you have this flatworm well it's not unless you, unless the person is being completely honest with you right so if you're trading with someone locally and they're like hey just want to let you know like i may have had some flatworms so dip the coral um i'll dip regardless of where i get it from i have one really good friend um in his tank is just immaculate but i still dip his corals and he still says yeah dip my corals i don't know is that is that almost like a trust thing like in the coral world like bro you dip my coral like i I feel hurt (laughs) (laughs) you don't you don't trust me you did you dip my coral ow (laughs) i told you i was clean man Yeah, that could you could ruin some relationships that way. Uh, <laughs> but I, I mean, I would suggest dipping any coral from from anyone's tank, uh, regardless of where it came from, because hmm. uh, you just ne- I mean, you never know. Like, I, I don't know what the life cycle of a of an acro eating flatworm is, and if it can stay in some form for a month and then all of a sudden become active again. Like, who who knows? Um, so. Yeah, I, I dip everything. I was gonna say another one of the th- the uh, um, coral dips that folks use is like a bare insecticide that you would use in the garden. Oh wow! Yeah, it's it's really cool and actually it's very inexpensive for what you use it for. The only problem that I see with it is it kind of makes the water milky, and you can't really see if anything is coming off the corals. So if you're dipping something and and you find one thing that comes off the coral. Um, you're going to want to maybe take a closer look at it and really give it a, a good once, uh, twice over and, and make sure you got everything off. Um, is there, is and there that's kind of hard to see, is there a critter like, I don't know, like a cleaning shrimp or something in the saltwater world that you could put in your tank and that thing loves to eat flatworms. Does that exist? Yes. So some wrasses will eat flatworms. Um, and what everyone is saying for the acro eating flatworms specifically is 
um, springeri damsels, little damselfish. That's blue, kind of looks like a like a blue camo uh, type of fish. It's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. So I'll I'll keep one of those in each one of my tanks. So I have two frag tanks and then a display. So I at least have one in each one of those tanks. Just in case there's anything in there. Hmm. Yeah, the damselfish. It's, it's the, like maintenance fish. Yeah. The the damselfish kind of looks like one of those standard like uh, pediatric, uh, you know, saltwater tanks in your kid's um, doctor's office. Yeah, exactly. Oh, cool but fish. having those fish, like fish that have the purpose, I mean, that's, I think that's fun too. Yeah. Uh, so so on the note of like a planted tank, if. Um, Although snails, snails can get down on some algae. So, so one one solution could be if you don't like pond snails or you don't like the snails that tend to be hitchhikers on aquatic plants, you could have like a resident pea puffer. So a super super small little pea puffer. These guys are native to I think India, um, and they will just you know they'll just crush your um, your your snails for you. But you know there could be there could be a point like I've got some I've got a pea puffer in a forty gallon right now that. These snails like are just are just outbreeding what the pea puffer can can do work on, and yeah. he, he's like a super fat little pea puffer. Um, they're they're a bit aggressive, so you kind of have to keep them in groups. But if you had like a twenty gallon or a ten, one pea puffer could probably keep your snail population in check. But then again, you know if you do that, you're gonna lose the benefits of having snails eating up leftover food and just helping to you know munch algae and, and other films and whatnot that are on the glass and on the plants. Um, yeah, so you know you got your you got your trade offs there. And that's like an interesting balance too. I, I always find that fascinating. Like nature keeps that balance pretty even, but I've found that like, you know, you get a cleanup crew of snails and hermit crabs, right? For a reef and some of them are going to die or you can run out of algae. So then they're going to die because they don't have food and then you're, all your algae is going to come back. It's so hard to keep that, that balance of an ecosystem. Mm -hmm. It's a fun challenge, but when you can get it close, it's just so cool to watch, right? Mm -hmm. What else? Uh, what else are you doing, or what else are you trying to get rid of when you do your coral dip? Uh, so any like little worms you might see. Um, there's these things called bristle worms. The debate is still out there if they're good or bad. They're unsightly if you touch them. They like let these little bristles go on, uh, and they like kind of stick into your stick to your skin. Oh man, I'm googling um, them right now. Those things are. It looks like a nasty uh, millipede or something. <laughs> Yeah, uh, those are kind of gnarly, uh, but I mean, they clean stuff up and, and uh, some people say they'll attack fish or um, they aren't good for the tank and they can be, you know, opportunistic feeders, one of the things that you like, but I don't really care too much about them. Um, another one is in Acropora, there are uh, Acropora crabs and there's good ones and there's bad ones. So you want to check out for those. Uh, so there are these crabs that actually live inside of the Acropora colonies. Um, the good ones look a little bit more smooth. Uh, and then the bad ones, they're kind of like hairier looking crabs. So, I mean, even though I've dipped, I mean, gotten some corals from, from Indonesia and mariculture places where they grow the corals in the ocean and then they collect them and then ship them over here, you will see those crabs on there and sometimes they'll just hang on to the coral if you don't look at it really closely and the dip won't get it off so it's really important i'm, I'm sure like you were just saying where is the coral coming from too right it, that's probably going to determine how carefully you look at the plant and how carefully you do a inspection of hitchhikers hmm. and and so what are the mechanics of this dip like are you you know is it like a 
quick in and out like you're dipping your chip to make a payment or is it you know you're letting this thing sit in there for five ten minutes yeah so it's five minutes so it is i'm trying i don't know i don't remember the exact ratio it's like 10 10 milliliters per liter of what i use is melifix and it's this clear solution uh so i'll get all the corals uh get them out of the bag uh, i try to keep them in the water that they came in and then i'll start drip acclimating uh, my tank water into that water and then set aside, I'll have some tank water with my Melifix in it. Um, and depending on how much room I have, I, I may be able to do just um, one round of dip if there's uh, not that many coral. But I'll put them in there for about four to five minutes. Um, I'll give them a good shake when I get them there at first, see if anything falls off. I'll give them a good inspection, see if I see anything with my eye. Um, you can look for bite marks if you if you uh, will i'm air quoting of these little acro eating flatworms and just look for anywhere the tissue may be uh, agitated and that may be a good sign that there's something on there mm. so you look for that um some people even use like a jeweler's loop ah. uh, to to get in there yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and look at the base of corals like if you see something that doesn't look right um you want to get it off because i mean seriously one one acro eating flatworm get in your tank and just destroy everything is it, um, is it ever so, is dipping ever a nerve-wracking thing for the for the health of the coral like oh man i hope i hope this one survives the dip or anything like that i've i've only i only think that's happened like once or twice with a couple frags i've got and and i think it honestly was user error i think i kept them in there for a little bit longer than five minutes which shouldn't make a big problem and i may have aggressively um sprayed them a little bit too hard mm. um what you mentioned before a turkey baster is the, one of the best tools for aquarists, I think. If if you don't have a turkey baster, you got to get one. Get two. Well, you guys use I, them for I like use, feeding, right? Yeah, we we'll use them for feeding. I use it for this dip process, and I kind of um, hit all the angles of the coral. I love that you um, guys. It's like, hey, you 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 know these salt you saltwater people, right? <laughs> oh man, yeah. I didn't think I'd be saying that, but it's like you're from a just a, a completely different world. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, oh, I forgot to mention to my, to my defense, I did have one three gallon little Pico freshwater tank that was planted and it was awesome. A little dust cup thing. It was so cool. I love that thing. I had like a, um, celestial Daniel in it. I think it was. Which one are you talking talk uh, about in college or more recently at your house? Cause you had, no, this is, this is more recently at my house. Yeah. You, you had one with a beta in it for your, when I was there for your wedding and I, and I overfed your beta. Did I ever tell you that? No, <laughs> I never told you that. <laughs> So that no. night, that night that uh, that my wife and I we stayed at your place. Um, I think you were already at the at the venue or whatnot. Um, that's where your room was for for that night. And uh, you had me feed your betta, and I think I gave it like five times as much as it was supposed to get, and it ate it all. Oh and then it looked like it was convulsing, so I took it out of the water, and then it spit up the food, and then I put it back, and it was fine. <laughs> no way! <laughs> Oh man, that gave oh my me gosh. that gave me a little heart attack <laughs> when that happened. I'm like, I'm gonna kill Garrett's better. This is not good. Oh my goodness. Well, my lavender tank did die when you were here. I don't know what happened to it. I remember you sent me that picture of it, so I, I still blame that one on you. Oh jeez. <laughs> yeah, because what no. didn't that thing like it was like brushing itself up against a coral or something? Like it was all cut up. Yeah, it probably had something on it like ick or. Um, Hopefully it wasn't something like velvet, which I've had before, which is velvet is pretty much the 
the one I don't, I don't know if it's a bacteria or what it is but that thing will wipe out i i got that i got the population i got that in one tank that did not ever have oh. any outside anything so like i had some freshwater velvet or i don't know how closely related those the salt and the freshwater are um but it was pretty bad yeah so it was the whole the whole tank had to be nuked yep yeah that's a that's a sad day I, and i know i I'm trying to think of all the folks that I know just here in San Diego that it's happened to. Like, it seems like it, I mean, you can do all of the things precautionary to stop it. Um, but I, I feel like it almost happens to a lot of folks. So, and that's a, that's a turning point too. Like I, after that, I was like, dude, I'm out. I, I can't do this. Like I can't see all these fish die or even corals, right? All these coral die. I'm like, crap. Like I even acclimated everything. I, I put everything in quarantine, all my fish in quarantine, treated them with all this stuff. I'm like, I still, this still happened. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Hey, so I'm we- glad I stuck with it. Cause, cause the good times are, are way, way better than the, than the sad ones. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That is a, that is a true statement. I would agree with you on that. Uh, so <laughs> what was What was the name of the uh, fish store that you worked at and how long were you there for? Oh yeah. Uh, so I worked at a store called aquatic warehouse and it was, I probably worked there for a year over the period of a couple of years. So I, I went there and worked for probably like eight months. And then I went there and worked for four months again, kind of just in between jobs. Um, but yeah, it, freshwater, saltwater, coral. Uh, I think they brought all of their koi stuff there now. I'm still going there like once a week. Um, made good good uh, connections with the guys there. Some of the guys are still there that I used to work with, but yeah, it's a fun store. They have everything you, you seriously need. Um, it's a good one here to have, have in California or in San Diego. So I don't remember. I thought we went somewhere like down south for that, but it's over in Kearney Mesa? Yeah, that one's in Kearney Mesa. There's another one called Pet Kingdom. And if you guys are familiar with the uh, San Diego area, that's down more like sports arena area, Rosecrans. Um, but Point a, Loma. But Aquatic Warehouse, that's the one that I went to. Uh, I went with you to? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't even know what we're doing that day. It's just like, let's go to a screwing around. Let's go to a fish store. <laughs> it was, it was probably a guarantee. It was an off Friday when we had a, we had off, off Fridays? Fridays. I don't remember that. Wait, what? We had off Fridays. Were you working on Fridays? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. What, what, hold on. What was it like every other Friday we took off? Yeah. Holy crap. I don't remember that at all. Really? Me? Is that a different job? Time period you were there. <laughs> hit up, and we got to hit up like John Fong or something. What do you mean the time period? We were both there for. <laughs> you were only there for like a year longer than me, right? Yeah. Did I leave before you, or you left before me? I think I left. I think you before did before you. Uh, no, no, no. You did. Hmm. Oh gosh, I don't remember. Or is that when I went to TNO and I just changed departments and buildings? I don't know. Let me call call up uh, Human Resources. We'll get the records. <laughs> we had off Fridays, like I like grade school or something. I swear to you, every other Friday was off. It was like every that 980 other... schedule. Oh, I think I do remember that. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that does make sense. Off Fridays. Gosh, I was gonna say, man, you're, you're sitting there working it, working Friday. No one's around. You're like, what? Oh, dude. No, <laughs> like but that? okay. So, but I think I think my department though, because demand was so high, we all, um, the production crew was all, oh. always there. And so there might have actually been some off Fridays where maybe I did have to work. Yeah, that makes sense. 
off Fridays. Yeah, because as you said, uh, a 980, right? That's what that's what you called it. Yep. Yep. I remember that term. Yeah, yeah 980. Who does that? <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen it anywhere else. A 980 schedule. Good times. All right. Yeah. So we we went to Aquatic Warehouse. You used to work there. Yeah. Good times. Yeah, as kids. I mean, learn how to bag fish. Saw a bunch of fish come in there. I, and when I applied for that job, I was just going there when I had just bought that that little 24 gallon and I'm like, dude, I love this. I, I don't have a job right now. I know I love aquariums. I know nothing about freshwater. I know very little about saltwater. And I think I kind of BS my way into it. And they're like, well, can you bag a fish? Can you bag a coral? I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? Um, <laughs> so I uh, went there not knowing quite a lot, having to um, learn a lot from the folks that were working there and defer a lot of the questions to the to the more tenured guys but yeah i learned a lot it was it was great kind of seeing like how fish and coral come in like you would see um like the breeders come in on the freshwater side like to bring in all the the stuff that they had had bred um seeing all the the coral and, and fish come in from like la from the wholesalers uh just yeah really fun experience yeah, uh, I would say that bagging fish, like catching them is one thing, right? Catching fish in a tank is an art, um, but then actually oh. like, it, you know, getting, filling the bag up with air, tying it all, like twisting the bag and then putting the rubber band on, like that takes, that takes some reps and I'm still not very good at that. <laughs> and I've, I've done a handful, but that's, uh, you know, I watch uh, people in my retail store, in the aquarium club retail store and they just, you know, it's like second nature to them. They've done it so many times, and they're they're such pros at it. And when I do it, it's like you know you know Pinterest fails. Like that's that's what that's what mine, <laughs> mine mine's like a Pinterest fail basically, which is just like a I just picture like a deflated like little bag with it's it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's what my you know the best is like the customer if they brought a bucket in, it's like can I just put these fish in the bucket for you? Like does it have to go back in a bag and be tied up all nice and pretty? <laughs> and then make sure you hold it upright because this seal on here uh, from the rubber band, I, I wouldn't trust it. I would not put it upside down if I were you, if uh, Randy's the one doing your bag, bag tying and sealing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So let, let, let's learn some more stuff then. Um, phosphate, right? That's one of the things that you guys are chasing in the uh, saltwater side of things? Yes. What does phosphate do, and what happens when you have an imbalance? So nitrate and phosphate kind of go hand in hand. Um, I mean, I'm seeing when you're talking like about waste in a reef, right? Um, probably 10 years ago, I'm thinking you wanted to have zero nitrates, zero phosphates. You wanted this pristine water and that's how you were going to have the best looking reef. And sometimes that did work really well, but kind of as things progress and people started researching more and, and doing more, I guess, home experimentation. Uh, a lot of one one line of thinking is you want to have a little bit of waste in the tank so that your corals and your fish, well, most of your corals, right, can can use that waste and kind of complete that ecosystem cycle. Uh, so there are folks that will feed really heavy um, to have that nitrate and phosphate in the tank. Um, people are having like 10, 20 parts per million uh, for the nitrates. And then um, I don't know what the, the measurement is for, for phosphates, but some people want to have it like around 0.9. I think, it, I think it's part per million, but I'm not sure. Um, 
like 0.5 to 0.9. But then you look at some other tanks and they're like, yeah, my phosphates are like at two and their corals just look phenomenal. So it's still like an issue up in the air if you want a lot or a little, um, but I think it's finally come around to, you want at least some uh, in your tank. So that's what I'm trying to run right now. I'm trying to run like 10 to 20 nitrates and then right around like 0 0.8, 0 0.9, uh, right under 1.0 for, for phosphates. And actually right now in the tank that I can see, I have kind of an algae uh, thing going on and it's cause I've been feeding really heavily lately, but I see a huge change in the corals right now um, after feeding heavy and having kind of that waste in the water column. Um, I guess you could call it the, the food in the water column um, for, for them to uptake. So yeah, corals looking really good. Um, and and well, in too much phosphate, a little bit. What, is, what does too much phosphate lead to then? Is it just essentially like dangerous water that's um, not good from a husbandry standpoint? Or could that be one of the things that triggers like, like uh, algae blooms? Yeah, you'll get like your algae blooms. Um, it's not going to be good for the corals or the fish, right? If you have all that waste in there, it's just going to be kind of like your toxic water. So you got to kind of figure out that balance. And this is kind of where each tank is a little bit different. And I'm probably, this is probably the same um, for you and your freshwater tanks too. Um, you could set up a tank identical to uh, each other and you kind of have to know, okay, well this tank runs a little bit better if I have a little bit higher phosphates and this one runs a little bit better when I have a little bit lower phosphates. Um, it's just kind of like experimenting, of course, on like a very small scale, right? And slowly, <laughs> so you can watch the effects of it. Um, but yeah, too much, too much is gonna be pretty detrimental. And erring on the side of not enough is probably gonna be better than than too much. But there's guys that are like dosing phosphates and dosing nitrates in the tanks to get those levels to come up. So uh, that's something that's com was completely new to me. I'm like, wait, you're putting nitrates into your tank and putting phosphates into your tank? I thought that's what you wanted to get out. So that's something that's relatively new, and I found it found it pretty interesting but i just like to feed heavy yeah <laughs> feeding, <laughs> feeding heavy is the more fun way i think of accomplishing that oh yeah yeah fe feeding never gets old at least yeah, i don't think that is does. true i don't think it does uh, yeah i mean that's just like with uh with plants like in a, in a planted tank you know 20 ppm of nitrate is kind of a is a good number to be at because you always want to have nitrate in the oh. water for the plants to consume so yeah interesting and it's not kind of been is that always been like the case? Oh, I have, I have no idea, to be honest with you. I, I would say, so it's tough. Like people that are like plant aquatic bio, you know, botanists, they probably know that. Um, as far as it being common knowledge in, you know, in the hobby space, I don't think, you know, until you start watching some, some good content creators on YouTube that have a lot of experience with planted aquariums, that's when they'll start to tell you that stuff. Um, so it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to say, like, I, I think it's something that once you start getting into planted aquariums, if you find good content creators, then they'll tell you it. Um, but nice. you know, I could totally see that. You know, in the 90s, if, if everybody's keeping, you know, Oscars and Dovii cichlids and all the tank busters and they're not, they have, the, you know, the only plants they have are plastic plants, then they're going to shoot for zero, right? Zeros across the board. They want zero yep. nitrates, zero nitrites, zero ammonia, obviously. Um, and so it's then like, as those people transition into maybe wanting to keep a community tank or a planted tank, it's trying to break that, like, it's okay to have 20 nitrates in your tank and you actually want that because you need to have nutrients in the water for the plants to eat. 
But yep. if you know all you ever have is plastic plants, that you know you, you're you're just chasing you're just chasing clean water because you've got uh you know something the size of a Labrador Retriever in a ninety gallon aquarium. You know you've got your wet pet basically, <laughs> and you just want pristine clear water for that pet. Yeah, that makes sense. I I think that's kind of your run of fish only tank in marine versus a uh, versus a reef. Would that be a probably f- would that be a fowler, a fowler tank? Yeah, that would be a fowler with live rock though. Fish, yes. <laughs> Is that the common denominator? Like every tank will have live rock in saltwater, just whether or not you have corals or fish or whatnot. I mean, probably it's, it's your biological filtration. So if you don't have live rock, you're gonna need something in there for biological filtration, like bio balls or um, they make these like blocks, these like ceramic blocks with mm-hmm. a bunch of porous holes in them i could do it mm-hmm. it's funny watching the nerds battle on uh like ppis and porosity of media and all that good stuff it's like you know no oh, yeah. no 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 mine's got 10 more holes per millimeter cubed and that's what makes a difference and blah 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 and it like the end result is always it always seems to be like i just want to change water less therefore give me the thing that will help me to change water less and so I think really that's where it all comes down to like why people are so hard up on I've got to have the best biofiltration because I have zero desire to do water changes. Yeah. So, or keep, th- or keep plants. Caught, I mean, I've got caught up in that, all that, all that stuff too. And I'm like, Oh, I need this. I need that. And in the end of it, of everything, I realized I actually didn't need that stuff. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is, I mentioned this earlier. Like the biggest lesson I learned was like keeping it simple. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, probably going along with that is finding someone's tank that you really like and that you enjoy and just asking them what they're doing. Um, that's how I ended up with my, my 225 right now, uh, in wall reef. I just talked to this one guy. I'm like, I love your reef. I love your corals. I love what you're doing. And I just started slowly working my way up to where his water parameters were, what his lighting was, what his flow was, and then replicating that. And it's gone really well. That's actually, that's, that's some pretty solid advice there. Like, yeah, find that person that's got the tank that you want, that looks exactly like something that you want, and then find out everything that it takes to make that happen. Right. And if they're being honest yep. and transparent and it's like, yeah, it's about five hours a day of maintenance. And then you can be like, Oh, okay. Um, Maybe I don't want to do five hours of maintenance a day. <laughs> Maybe. Because, I mean, that's where, you know, I've, I've advocated before to have, like, uh, Takashi Amano. He's, like, this, you know, the the godfather of Japanese-style aquascaping, yep. ADA, all that good stuff. Oh, like, yeah. I've advocated that people should just, like, a, a fish nerds should just have that book on their coffee table. And that could be, like, such a huge little hook for all their friends to be like, what is this thing? This is what an aquarium looks like. Like, it doesn't have rainbow gravel and, um, you know, a, a SpongeBob SquarePants pineapple like my son's aquarium has. Like, you know, it breaks the mold of maybe what they think an aquarium actually is. And that could be kind of a gateway to get them interested in aquariums. That being said, though, um, setting those up to have those proportions and then keeping up on that maintenance incredibly challenging and very 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 time consuming a very uh, labor intensive um you know a, a very labor intensive kind of setup so i've um, I, you know i've advocated that to just like hook people in to get them interested but on the same token it's like yeah but that's going to take you uh, that's going to take a lot not to say that not anybody can do it like if you put the effort in you can do it but it's going to be a lot of effort to do that yep 
and maybe more of a simple yep. a simple planted That's- tank. Like you could take a twenty nine gallon tank, get some basic substrate in there, throw some valcinary in the background, throw some dwarf sagittaria in the in the midground, put some crypts here and there, and just get a decent light give it easy green fertilizer, put some community fish in there, and that's going to be a pretty low uh, low investment, easy-to-maintain tank for you. And look, and look awesome. And look, and look awesome. Yeah. I, I love the look the planet takes. The, in the aquascaping, in planet tanks, is just like, it's phenomenal. Oh, it's crazy. And I don't... They're, they're pieces yeah, of art, man. I think, oh, absolutely. I think the reef world is kind of catching on to that. And, I don't know. Maybe I just don't know that well. I just re- re-aquascaped my tank with a friend like uh, eight months ago because it was just looking like a rock wall. And I wanted more <laughs> dimension to it. But that's kind of how it used to be. It was just, hey, throw a bunch of live rock in a tank and just stack it high and then throw some coral on there, right? Now folks are getting like this this cut rock where it's like it looks like these tables or – The stacks? Um, the stacks brand? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, stuff like that, right? They're running it through some saw or something and – they're gluing it all together crazy and making these crazy structures but yeah the the freshwater side is it's like way intense on that it's like taking the color wheel and saying okay i'm placing this next to this plant uh, because the colors are opposing on the color wheel or whatever that may may be or like here's the fibonacci sequence i'm like have you heard of that like you got to use the fibonacci sequence on on aquascaping well there's the there's um, the the golden rule right the golden rule the thirds like how you draw yep. the eye in i mean i have had several like really good aquascapers on this podcast and you know they could you could go the biotope route so you basically just want to carve a slice of nature like if you wanted um you know if you wanted your aquarium to look like a slice of the rio negro or a you know, mountain stream from Borneo or whatever, like that's like, that's a whole aquascaping style. There's a fantasy realm. So one of the guys I recently talked to Corey Hopkins, he he does like this fantasy, like it almost looks like it's from the pages of like a, um, who are they? Like the Grimm brothers, uh, uh, kid, like the old school, like fairy tales and stuff like these, you know, the, the way that they lay their, their hardscape and, and the way that they have the plants, it like draws your eye to the back and it looks like a path. And I mean, there's just so yeah. many different styles and like tricks that these guys can do. These guys and girls, like it's just, it's insane. And honestly, like maybe like the way that you've talked about saltwater, it almost sounds like the most basic saltwater setup for coral is almost akin to work-wise as just having like a nicely high-end aquascape tank. Like if you're used to doing yeah. that much work chasing that many parameters. It's like that almost sounds like you're just you know it, it maybe even maybe even the the high end aquascaping is easier because beyond that initial setup you're just getting in there you're trimming some you know you're doing your trimmings uh, you're making sure your CO two is still dosing correctly you've got your you know your your few parameters that you're chasing are are stable um, where just like any old saltwater setup it just sounds like out of the box like you've got that plus like seventeen more things to worry about. I mean, it sounds very similar. I think right? we should when just take your let's planted. just take your reef tank out and put in a planted freshwater tank. Is I think where we're going with this. <laughs> I don't know if I'll do that, but I w- <laughs> I would get a planted tank. There you go. Um, <laughs> They're awesome. I, and honestly, when I've thought about, it, I'm like, oh man, that sounds like a lot of work. Like <laughs> yeah, trimming the plants, keeping up with everything, and it's probably about the same amount as work. The same amount of work. 
Well, um, and it, if not more than a reef tank, uh, that's where the similarities probably are. If if you have, it depends on what you put in there. Um, you know, there's there's a good number of slow growing plants where you don't have to, and then there's a good number of like um, like a plant like a valcinaria. If you put that thing in the background, even if it throws its runners around, you're just going to have this nice tall wall of green in the back. And if anything, like yeah. an overgrown look is going to look awesome because then you throw some cardinal tetras in there and now all of a sudden they're just darting in and out of this green jungle of plants. And it's like, man, I don't even, I've had, I've had my 75 gallon when it was previously scaped in a different way than it is now. It was just an absolute overrun jungle and it still kind of looked cool just like that. So, yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah, having I mean, yeah, that over overrun jungle looking plant takes I think is, is very cool. All right, so I think we're yeah, we're, plant are awesome. we're hitting like dang, we're hitting like an hour and thirteen minutes right now. We haven't even My we gosh. haven't even okay. talked about House of Reef. Yet. So let's let's end on House <laughs> of Reef right now on okay. your on your eBay store, sir. So if you like the cut of Jar- Garrett Jarrett's, if you like the cut of <laughs> Garrett's jib, right, you can go to you can look for the eBay seller and I'll, I'll put links in this in the show notes house of reef you've got a hundred percent rating with two sales well done sir i know that this is <laughs> this is just your blossoming so, business here <laughs> right so i recently said i'm gonna i'm gonna try to start selling online right i've taken i've taken stuff and trade in the fish store i've tr- tried to sell locally and there's some knuckleheads here locally i'm like i'm done with that uh i'm done getting 10 percent of what i could sell it for um at the local reef shop um but I'd love to try to sell online, so that's where I am. Okay, that's what I'm giving it, giving a go now. <laughs> yeah, and you've got you've got nine of uh, nine listings on here. You've got a what you see is what you get live coral, a Hawkins, Echinata, Echinata Acapora. Is that your most expensive one on here right now? Fifty four bucks. Yes, okay. probably that one or the the Jesus Tort. The Jesus Tort, purple Gatorade. Oh man, you should just come back on because we we haven't even made fun of all the coral names and like the saltwater. Oh, names we got to do that. And I want to know what what it's like on uh, the freshwater side. If any of that's there, it's not nearly as bad. I mean, so for for people that uh, you know, obviously everybody that's outside of Garrett and my uh, our personal conversations, one of the things that I, I poke fun at is just like the very, you know, I'll say it for what it is. It's like a very bro nature naming convention in the saltwater world, <laughs> where you know, uh, where, where's some good ones? I don't I don't think you really call them it so much, but. It, I, I, I can't imagine that I'm alone in this, that if you've ever explored any coral names or saltwater kind of related stuff, it's, it's very bro-esque in what they're called. Um, and you, you are not a fan of that, nor am I. I'm not. For some purposes, I think it's good on some of the, um, I don't know if I'd say collector's pieces, but some of like the originals, right? You have like your strawberry shortcake, red planet, uh, Hawkins at Echinata. Those are like, you know what that coral is. It's when you get into like, okay, I just brought some tinius in and I'm going to name it myself as like uh, this rainbow colliding spiral galaxy uh, created by Merlin's wand acro. It's like, what the? And is that, that's not, and that's not too far off from like what people actually name these. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty, that's a stretch, but um, <laughs> But it's just like I'm just gonna grab some crazy, crazy name and. Well, there's pur- purple, I mean, a lot of purple Gatorade, like, purple Gatorade Acropora. That's mildly yeah. goofy. It is, um, for the sake of like identification, I think it's good. Um, and you aren't gonna go back and say, okay, now I'm just gonna go back and call this coral coral a green with pink tip tip microlatos or something like that. 
like no one's going to go back to doing that. They're going to say, oh, that's a that's a strawberry shortcake. Like I have no clue what you're talking about. Um, so I think the days of that are over. But I just what I want to do is just get beautiful corals. Um, if it's something that is identified uh, and I can confirm that, that's what I'll sell it as. If not, here's a really beautiful coral. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and here's the colors and the species that I think it is. Like that's that's where I'd like it mm -hmm. like it to be. But and your your charge on here, the, the fifty dollars shipping charge, I would have to imagine that's probably pretty standard for corals, like if you're buying something on eBay. It is, yeah. Um like forty to fifty bucks. Um of course you can buy shipments, right? You can buy um it'll be fifty bucks per per box uh, that you ship and I think I have I'm running over 300 right now is if you spend over 300 then it would be free shipping a lot of folks are doing stuff like that uh, but what I want to do is try to get leverage a little bit better deals and I think some folks are doing that so I gotta figure that out I was actually listening to one of your podcasts and someone mentioned a company that like combines all the rates so I gotta check that out yeah I don't yeah, that's I don't, one of the I don't know how that would work barriers, with, I think. With, with eBay but yeah definitely yeah, that's one of the big barriers, I, I think, to, mm -hmm. to selling online is the shipping cost. Because you are doing you're doing a, a one day shipping, which is why it's so expensive. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And are you like so? I guess for shipping corals, I mean, is it going in insulated boxes? Or are you using heat packs? Like, a, like what what goes into shipping the coral other than just trying to get it there as fast as possible? Yeah. So usually it's like a six by six box uh, or six inch cube box, um, insulated. Uh, with styrofoam uh, you'll bag up the corals uh, don't need that much water if it's going to be overnight so pretty much uh, a small small bag will work uh, if you're shipping small frags uh, and then heat pack it maybe during this time of the year uh, it's always good to just kind of see where you're shipping to and uh, what the weather's like where you're shipping from to make that determination mm -hmm. yeah so one day shipping fedex standard overnight so so corals really don't want to stay uh in in shipping all that long then no they they don't i think that's the 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 most success people have had is that overnight mm -hmm. shipping but I, I, the question out there also is you know these corals that are coming from like indonesia i guess they're being shipped overnight but it's probably a longer duration from being packed and shipped i don't know Maybe something I need to look into. Yeah, that that would or actually be interesting because I mean, because yeah, they're they're being collected, they're being processed somewhere, um, they're then being transported to an airport. Uh, from the airport, are they taking a direct flight from Indonesia to America? Um, are they connecting up in Tokyo? Are they connecting in 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 um, somewhere in Korea? Because I know when we get plants from overseas, they aren't coming directly to Seattle to our airport. They are stopping somewhere else, and then from mm -hmm. there, you have to go through your your clearance of some sort, your customs clearance and border protection CBP. So that yeah. would be that would be very interesting if actually like you know, one day shipping is what you actually have to do. And uh, a very real-time relevant example. So past guest Jan Souza just sent me three beta rubras. So I got my three beta rubras, two boys and a girl, reverse trio. And she sent them via USPS priority mail. And I think they were in the mail for three days and arrived at my house perfectly fine. And now, granted, bettas, wow. bettas ship very, very well. They need, like, relative to other fish, they need very, very little water. They can breathe the, the air 
at the surface of the water, uh, you know, actually breathe atmospheric air. So, like, just Betta is a really, really good fish to ship. Um, she did include a heat pack in there, and they, they showed up just fine, and they're now in my fish room after, you know, acclimating water temperature and all that stuff before I put them in the tank. Um, but, yeah, those guys, three to four days, I think, um, is actually the, their time in transit. Huh. I, I mean, I would love to experiment with that on something that isn't, like, your $400 frag, right? <laughs> but I always saw that as a huge a huge barrier to, to purchasing things online, like corals online. It's like mm -hmm. 50, 40 bucks shipping. I'm like, uh, I don't know about that. Mm -hmm. I um, mean, it, um, in, in general, like what, what would be the most expensive coral right now on eBay? Not, not one that you're selling, but like what, what could I search right now on eBay? Like, Oh yeah, that's going to be like the most expensive if it's on there right now. Yeah. You could look up torches right now. Um, it's an LPS type of coral LPS. Yeah, like LPS torch. Hmm. It's a type of euphelia. Uh, I'm seeing Acroporas, fifty-five bucks. Blue torch. Uh, look up like dragon soul torch. <laughs> dragon soul torch. That's a, so. That name sounds I like I don't make that names. sounds like an item from World of Warcraft. The dragon. Like, <laughs> did you get the dragon soul torch from that raid? <laughs> yeah, that's just gonna boost my speed by by. 40 here we go here we go uh what you see is what you get ultra indo gold torch coral with blue tips ephophilia is that what you said dragon soul euphilia euphilia mm -hmm. 299 yes yeah, decent. 299 i mean there's there's a lot more expensive stuff out there like uh bounce mushrooms are one <laughs> where are they gonna come bounce um, like to me, some of these things are. They, I don't even like the way they look. Oh um, wow! Here we go. Here we go. We got some. We got some. Uh, Indo Hellfire Torch Gold Live Coral Dragon there. Soul Killer, three hundred and seventy-five dollars. Ooh, Cornbreads Dragon Soul Torch, five hundred ninety-nine dollars. The most expensive aquarium plant on the freshwater side, off the top of my head, that we sell when it's available is going to be a Cryptocorn Pink Flamingo for 29 bucks oh my gosh most, most expensive um i think you can probably get some and now here here's where you will get some goofy naming on the freshwater side for plants it's bucephalandra and so um you'll get bucephalandra green wavy bucephalandra godzilla bucephalandra like there's a million different like uh bucephalandra like kind of variants that we've thrown some cute names on to you know yeah. and, and they look cool like don't get me wrong and there's some slight variations um, are they all kind of coming from just a few different main species? And then these are slight variations. Um, you know, I, I don't know what the latest consensus is on that. But, you know, I, th I think I would say that boosts are probably going to be the more expensive ones. And even then, they're going to top out at like 30, 40 bucks. Um, unless I'm living under a rock and somebody knows of like a much more expensive freshwater plant, maybe like a Nubius Pinto with some white leaves, but that's still only like 30 bucks. Um, it's not, you know, it's no, it's no cornbreads, dragon soul torch, five ninety nine. That's a grip of money. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that, that is a lot. And that's, and that probably just survives the overnight shipping, early morning delivery. What is he, what does he have? Let's see here. <laughs> What's their, what kind of shipping are we talking about here? Plus $40 shipping. Okay. Uh, coming from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Lovely in Fort Lauderdale. I enjoyed my time there. Yeah. Uh, do, 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 do. free free promotional shipping hey you drop 600 bucks you can get yourself nice. some free shipping there you go oh gosh i'd hope so 
Yeah, and I mean, so in, in the other game to play is like, all right, take a lineup of coral, right? So if I took a group of freshwater people, if I took like 30 freshwater people that had very, very limited experience with, with saltwater, like they know that saltwater tanks exist, they know that you can have clownfish, they know that you can have corals, but they know nothing beyond that. And if I took a, a grouping of random corals, right, all over the price spectrum, all over the look, you know, kind of what they look like, and say, all right, these 10 corals right here, rate them... Uh, rate them in terms of the most desirable to you in terms of appearance, and then you know rate them according to which ones you think are going to be the most expensive. And I would be very interested to see how that would actually play out. That would be an awesome experiment. Yeah, I, I would love to see that, and that's that's kind of what I want to get to. I mean, if I can just, I mean, buy corals that look good to you. Don't don't necessarily buy the name. Some like. The, by the name attached to it, right? Um, some of them, yes. Are, are they absolutely beautiful and, and stunning? For sure. Um, but hopefully I can provide some, some stunning stuff. And once I get more things and more pictures and better pictures and um, uh, more inventory, that's what I hope yeah. to be doing for folks. All right, my man. Well, we have uh, run over our one-hour time here, and I've uh, certainly enjoyed just being selfish and catching up with you Garrett and I hope everybody listening <laughs> learned a little bit about saltwater and had fun listening to this conversation and if you're you know just go go check out what Garrett, Garrett has on his House of Reefs uh, eBay and also your website's going to be coming up here pretty soon so we'll have a link to that as well um, and if you if you do keep corals and you like the cut of Garrett's jib then go buy some go buy some coral from cuz he's a he's a great guy and a good friend of mine so Garrett man thank you very much for the time and you have a good one brother <laughs>